Hello, welcome to another episode of the Purple and Bold podcast from the Daily News Record, where we talk about James Madison sports. I'm Shane Metlin, here with Noah Fleischman again, your JMU beat writers at the DNR, and we're going to jump into uh, some off-season, some summer hoops talk. Got a lot, not necessarily a lot going on, but we've been diving into basketball here in the off-season for a lot of sports. Uh, I've been looking at in the paper, been looking at what the Sun Belt can do to raise its status as a basketball conference, potentially make some more money in the NCAA tournament, things like that. Also, been uh, a little bit controversial uh, stuff around the state when you look at the ODU um, VCU kerfuffle. I don't know how to put it like the the end of that series, the end of that rivalry, at least for the time being. What's happening there? And we can dive right into that one since I've got. Uh, my recent VCU graduate right here with me, Noah, uh, talk a little bit about, you know, what's happening there. First off, I guess re- to recap VCU, ODU, longstanding basketball rivalry for as long as VCU's had a basketball team since the you know, late sixties, they've been playing, they've played close to a hundred times. It's been a good rivalry through the years in the CAA even as both of those programs left the CA for different conferences, they've managed to keep that rivalry going home and home. It's a big deal in the state of Virginia, but it's not going to be happening here, at least for the foreseeable future. VCU is backing out of that. Um, the controversy is why exactly they're backing out of that, what it means if they, you know, there's been rumors to the degree coming out of the ODU side of things that basically the Atlantic 10 has mandated not to play Sunbelt teams. I've reached out to several people, including the Atlantic 10 office. That's not exactly true, but Noah, let's just start with your, you're, you're the Atlantic 10 guy. You're the VCU guy here. Uh, that's your background. So take me through what's exactly happening with VCU right now on their end of things. Yeah. I mean, they've played for 45 straight seasons. A lot of that was in the CAA. And then when both teams took, well, I mean, VCU went to the A-10, and then ODU went to come to USA. They still kept going at the home and home every year, alternating between Norfolk and Richmond. This year was set to go to Richmond just based on the annual calendar. And that was the time for, for I guess, VCU to, to back out of it and not schedule them. I mean, when you look at their reasoning, it, it kind of makes sense. I mean, VCU, a team who has made hits with the tournament almost every year, they've made it at least, I think they have 14, 15, 16, 17 in a row at one point in recent history. I missed it last year. But overall, it's all about scheduling, and the Sun Belt isn't as strong of a basketball conference as Conference USA was, and or just looking around different regionally. And, and VCU, I don't think, wants to commit to a home and home with a team that's not going to have where a conference that didn't have a top 100 net team last year. And, and VCU, normally when they schedule non-conference, they look at how are they going to, how is this game going to help them get an answer to the tournament last year. They scheduled a team called St. Peter's Game 1. Nobody knew who the Peacocks were, and you see what happened later on. So they try to schedule these teams that are going to win their conference in non-conference play and, and hope that that's going to boost your stock going into Selection Sunday. And ultimately, I think that's what it came down to. And VCU is good at picking out these schools of here's who we think is going to play well throughout the year. And they played a team like Chattanooga, who went to the NCAA tournament last year. And they, they played a lot of tournament teams in non-conference play just based on doing this and, and kind of buying these games that you think will be better for you rather than committing to a home-and-home home where you might not do well, right, if you lose to an ODU on the road who is going to be a sub-100 
150 net team. Yeah. And, you know, this is the Purple and Bold podcast. We're talking JMU stuff. So we wouldn't necessarily devote so much time to VCU, ODU, but there's there's an effect of this on JMU because they've got a similar type of relationship, rivalry, longstanding thing that's, you know, withstood conference realignment with George Mason. Uh, they played them last year. Um, George Mason also in the Atlantic 10. So this this talk that this was an Atlantic 10 mandate, that the Atlantic 10 is saying don't schedule the Sun Belt, all that stuff, it, it affects JMU directly um, because they would like to play George Mason for sure, but also other you know Atlantic 10 teams in this region uh, when it comes to VCU, Richmond. They haven't been able to get a, the rivalry with Richmond re, rekindled. In a long time, you know, George Washington's another, you know, just right up the road team from that conference that would be a possibility. So if there was that going on, it would affect JMU directly. From what I hear, I, I reached out to the LinkedIn office. Uh, they gave me a response and I've, you know, asked around in the Sun Belt. That's not exactly the truth. When when you're hearing from, you know, people who cover, you know, People in Hampton Roads area that are, you know, media, known media quantities are saying that this is the Atlantic 10 telling them not to schedule ODU and Sunbelt teams. That's not exactly true. There, there's no mandate not to schedule the Sunbelt. There's definitely scheduling guidelines as far as like how can we make our resume as a conference as good as we possibly can, which I've just written about the Sunbelt doing the exact same thing. Um Maybe not in the exact same way or things, but um, this is something like both conferences are taking a stand of how to improve their conferences, how to improve their schedules and non-conference. And so now you're seeing where it's a little bit of a standoff between the two, I think. Um, not a case where the Atlantic says, don't schedule the Sun Belt, but they're probably telling their teams, hey, don't go on the road to play a mid-major with this kind of net ranking or Ken Palm ranking or whatever. Um, and the Sunbelt was down last year and the four teams coming into the Sunbelt, JMU, ODU, Marshall, Southern Miss all have potential in basketball, but they were down last year too. So they probably don't quite fit that criteria. And then we get into all the different things when it comes to scheduling basketball, which is complicated, but basically teams, saying we're at this level, so we're not going to go on the road or we're not going to play two-for-one games or buy games in certain situations. It gets complicated, and that's when the rumors get started and when things that are sort of like half-true get thrown out there and it gets a little complicated. Yeah, it gets complicated. I mean, the Atlantic 10 as a whole, I think, I don't know if you would really bar a conference from being scheduled. I don't think that's kind of a smart thing to do no matter who it is if you're talking about scheduling the – CAA or whatever, but I think that, yeah, going on the road might not be the most, you know, advertising game for, for most teams in the Atlantic 10, just being a multi-bid league, and you do you really want to go and have teams go on the road and play a Sunbelt team who, the league, if they can prove itself as being better in an up-and-coming league, maybe they want to do that eventually, but after the, the year they had last year and one team making the tournament as a 16 seed, I don't think that, you know, conference like the Atlantic 10 who gets two to three bids a year and the lowest they get maybe is the 12, 13 seed. You don't really want to, you know, be on that same level as a, a Sunbelt. I think they, I think the Atlantic 10 as a whole in this situation looks at themselves more of a, 
kind of nearing a Big East, not the Big East, but, you know, being closer to the Big East than they are to the Sun Belt, I guess, in like a conference standing. Yeah, and it's interesting because, like, we'll just break this down. Like, from a JMU perspective, I, I heard early on from going back to March that JMU was going to look at this as, you know, we're not going to do two-for-ones with mid-majors, you know, other mid-majors, and they're looking at the Atlantic 10 as another mid-major conference. So they want to play home and home with, if it's VCU, if it's Georgia Mason, um, any of those. They don't want to, you know, be paid to go play those games on the road. If they're doing that, they want to go to, like, North Carolina, like JMU is, or Virginia, which is a two-for-one, which higher profile, gets their fans a little bit more excited. Also, they get paid more for this game, generally speaking. Um, So that's what they want to do. And makes sense. That's a you know sound strategy for the Sun Belt as they're trying to improve things. But the Sun, the Atlantic Ten is also looking at it the same way. They're like, you know, why would we do a home and home with an ODU outside of tradition? Like, is there any other reason to continue doing a home and home with ODU when they've been down? Now, I think that's a viable argument. Yeah, I think. But the other thing to look at too is there is that tradition. There is that interest between fans and also when you look at mid-majors or you look at just outside of the you know traditional top 15 programs in the country for the most part there can be such a volatile difference from what a mid-major looks like from one year to the next now with the transfer portal everything else it's really I guess probably like the most astounding thing of this is that it's basically VCU saying, ODU, we don't just think you're down. We don't see you getting better anytime soon to like really improve that. Because, you know, you look at a team like Towson last year, improves their net, their RPI, things like that. They go up about 200 point, 200 spots from one year to the next. So you're really kind of like saying, we're not seeing great prospects for you at ODU. And I think, you know, just from the Sun Belt in general, that might be what people are looking like. So transitions a little bit into the stories we've been running in the paper here the last few days about Sun Belt trying to improve their basketball status and reputation and everything. Because right now, I mean, they're looked at as a conference that these other teams like see as a detriment to them playing them as opposed to as good as they've been in other sports. Yeah, I mean, that's exactly right. Like, I mean, you, you touched on it kind of in the paper, you know, just seeing how they obviously identify that that's not their strong point. They're great on the football field. Their baseball conference is great, too. And that, you know, basketball is the next thing. In most conferences that don't have football, basketball is their top thing. And you, the Atlantic 10 is probably the perfect example of a non-football conference that looks at themselves as a higher conference. And, you know, not going, not to keep going back to the VCOD thing, but, I mean, VCU has played them 45 times in a row. And they've won 10 of the last 12. So, I mean, when you look at it like that, it, you could look at it as almost a guaranteed win in the recent years. But at the same time, it might not help your 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 net in trying to improve. Because, I mean, we saw it last year with the CAA. And every time, you know, you could play, you could be a good team like lacrosse, be a good team. But every time you play a CAA game, you're, you're falling in the RPI just because of who you're playing against. And that could be a similar thing of trying to avoid the same thing happening kind of non-conference. Yeah, and the rivalry aspect of it is a little bit of a double-edged sword because, I mean, if you're VCU, yes, you've won 10 of those last 12, but that means you've also lost two when you were probably considered a better program at the time. Um, 
it's a rivalry. That's why people want this game to play. That's why we're talking about it. If it was just, you know, if it was just an in-state series, no, we wouldn't be talking about VCU Radford this way. I would say, though, if coming from VCU, that the VCU-ODU rivalry isn't really looked at as a rivalry anymore. In, like, the 2010s to, like, 15, I think it was. But really, now, if you, like, were to pull a student body and walk up to a random kid on the street and be like, you like basketball, like, yeah. They probably wouldn't look at the ODU game as a rivalry game. That's kind of where the more Richmond comes into play, just being a lot closer. So people paint it as this rivalry. It was at one point, but I think that maybe another reason is the student body as a whole doesn't look at it as a rivalry. I mean, the, the team does. Um, a lot of time having players from that area on the team for VCU, so they, they understand it. But the fan base, for the most part, unless you've been around for a while, they don't really look at it too much as a, as a rivalry game as you would have a Richmond or something like that. Well, that's getting into the double-edged sort of the part of what I was talking about yeah. is, um, you know, it looked, it's a big game for ODU. Yeah. And you can lose games like that even when you're the better team. I mm-hmm. mean, JMU and ODU have a similar situation. ODU has been a better basketball program than JMU up until the last you know year or so. But JMU could go down to Norfolk and win a game. <laughs> and, you know, that hurt ODU in the same way that, you know, VCU is worried about, it hurting them right now. And this is going to be a similar situation, you know, with JMU, George Mason. It'll be really, really interesting to see if that one winds up on the schedule this year. If it does, like how long-term of a contract that is. Because, I mean, honestly, George Mason's not in the same position as VCU where they're like hoping for an at-large bid next year, really. Um, But it does seem like if it's a conference thing where they're saying schedule this way, Try not to schedule too many teams outside the top 100, um, except for your, you know, buy games where you want to, you know, home win. Uh, we're not doing home and homes with them. It makes some sense. Um, gets into, you know, it's fortuitous timing that this was actual news happening while at the same time kind of highlights what I've been writing about with Sunbelt basketball here recently. A uh, third of the three stories is going to go online today. Uh, just looking at what it takes for the Sun Belt to become a solid basketball conference with a solid basketball reputation that matches where that league is in a variety of sports. Football with you know multiple top 25 teams. Baseball, softball, where they're usually putting multiple teams in the NCAA tournament. Men's soccer is going to be a league where you could have national champions. Um, a lot of sports do well. And the Sun Belt, basketball has not been one of them. So it's really interesting to look at, you know, why that is and why does that matter? Because mm-hmm. I mean, but frankly, you've got fans in the Sun Belt that are from the South. They like football. They like baseball. Can take or leave the basketball aspect of it, but it's also very important from a league standpoint because that's where all the money is in the NCAA. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you, you can make money football, but it's not an NCAA thing when you're making money for football. It's a totally separate thing. Um, if you want money from the NCAA, it comes from investing in your basketball product. Yeah, I mean, you make the tournament, and you're getting a check every game after that if you make the tournament, and it kind of makes a noise. And you talk about that's where a lot of you can see a team like, you know, mm-hmm. George Mason or VCU that goes to Final Four one year, and their program's different the rest of the after that just because of how much money and things you can kind of infuse and resources but yeah overall if you're trying to make money gotta 
get a good basketball league going so you can get multiple teams in and the conference gets a check, the team gets a check, and, you know, everyone's happy. Yeah, and the whole conference aspect of it is so interesting in basketball as opposed to football. In football, there's such a clear line. You're power five or you're not. If you're a group of five, you're playing in the FBS, but you're clearly in a different place than the power five. It's so much more difficult, almost impossible until recently this year, um, with Cincinnati, almost impossible to get into the playoff. Uh, you're playing. You're essentially playing for a different standard when you're not in a Power Five football. Basketball, it's different. There are the high major leagues. There's you know what people consider the Power Six in basketball. Add the Big East to the Power Five, but then there's you know of the current American athletic conference. There's five or six teams in that conference that basically operate like they're high majors there's a few mountain west teams that operate like they're high majors there's you know the top of the atlantic 10 operates like it's a high major program but the bottom doesn't um gonzaga is in you know the west coast conference and they are spending as much on basketball as anyone and you know seeing those results they're they're a high major and a low major conference for the most part it's so the conference, there's no clear line. There's no like saying, is the Atlantic 10 a mid-major? Well, Dayton's not really a mid-major. VCU's not really a mid-major in the sense of what you think of. But LaSalle is in that conference. Fordham is. I mean, just and, go to a LaSalle game at LaSalle and you'll understand yeah, why it's a mid-major. <laughs> yeah, and, and, you know, and the American. And it's the same thing. Houston is absolutely not a mid-major in any sense. Cincinnati's not. And those teams are going to leave, but right now, but you know, Tulane is mid-major basketball. ECU is mid-major basketball. And so there's not that clear line of like, okay, so this conference means something yeah. necessarily. But at the same time, you're looking at the shift in things. The American going forward after 2023 is not going to be the American we're looking at. We're not going to be talking about Cincinnati and Houston being powerhouses in football and basketball spending like Big 12 teams because they're going to be Big 12 teams. Um, so the American is going to be like that. The Mountain West is still the, the group of five conference on the west side of the nation. They're, they're the standard there. But there's really a chance for the Sun Belt to be that equivalent on the east coast or the east of the Mississippi. Um so it'll be really interesting to see. That's going. It's heading in the direction of football. It's there in baseball. It's there in softball. It's there in a lot of sports. But the Mountain West put four teams in the NCAA tournament in basketball this past March. They didn't win a game. They went 0-4, but they got four teams in. You got four checks. <laughs> yeah. I mean, imagine if they did send a team to the Sweet 16 and had three others lose in the first round. Fine. Like, But so – for that tournament, the Mountain West made about one and a half million dollars per. Their teams are getting a million and a half dollars mm-hmm. from that for the next six years. Each year for the next six years, they're making that money. That's huge money for a non-Power Five conference for getting four teams in and not even winning a game in the NCAA tournament. But it's that important, like to double what you're getting from the NCAA just by getting the second team in. Maybe more than double it if you got actually a decent team that wins a game or two. Like it's huge. It's huge. So that's, that's where it is. And if you're the Sun Belt, 
you're looking at this opportunity where I, I talking to some of the coaches, they're looking at the potential of, you know, there's the power five in football and kind of overall, maybe there's going to be like a power five plus two to a certain degree. Like not that like they're going to be up there, but that in there's been years where there's a power five and then there's the American and the mountain West. And then there's a Sunbelt in the conference USA and the Mac. And it's, there's a clear line there. There's been more of, I think just like a total grouping of the group of five outside of the power five in recent years. But I think you talk to the Sunbelt coaches, they're seeing the possibility that it's going to be group of five plus these also pretty good conferences, Sunbelt mountain West in the future. And that's a football thing, but it can carry over to basketball because it's all about kind of your brand as a sport, as an athletic department, as a thing. And you're not going to be the Atlantic 10 in basketball. You throw in the Atlantic 10, the Big East in basketball. It's a completely different thing. But you really – there's really no reason why five years from now the Mountain West and the Sun Belt shouldn't be top 10 basketball conferences every year. And right now the Sun Belt's not even close to that. But if you just look at where the money is and the investment and what they're doing in every other sport, I don't I don't see any reason why the Sun Belt shouldn't expect to be one of the ten best basketball conferences. Yeah, no, I think that's definitely doable just based on the standard that they've put on football and baseball and softball and soccer now, with men's soccer becoming one of the top leagues in the country. So it'll be interesting to watch and I think Keith Gill's kind of the guy to steer the ship there and we'll see over the next few years if they can kind of Build and build and build, and you kind of turn yourself. It's not going to happen next season, but you know, a few years down the road, you might have. Yeah, and if it does happen next season, then it's not something that's automatically sustainable. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, they could. I mean, there's some teams that like are going to be much better next year. I think JMU could be one of them. That's much better than they were last year because they dealt with a lot of injuries and stuff like that. Look at uh, South Alabama. They've also got some really good players who didn't play last year. They might improve greatly. Um, you, you just you never know with the transfer portal where teams are going to make a jump. Maybe there'll be two or three really good Sunbelt teams next year, and that's fine, but that doesn't necessarily mean that they're automatically where they want to be. There's long-term things here that go into it, and scheduling is a big one, which we've talked a ton about scheduling already. The Sunbelt knows they need to it's interesting because allegedly the net rankings are built so that like encourage you to go on the road and win games on the road. Keith Gill just spent his first year on the NCAA selection committee, comes back to the Sunbelt meetings and basically tells everybody, okay, schedule a bunch of home games. Cause if you win, you win to win. We need wins. We don't necessarily need to try to win on the road where we might not win play at home and win because it's a lot easier to win at home. So I've, I found that really interesting because as much as it's allegedly built to uh, reward you for winning on the road, it seems like we're seeing all these conferences say, no, we just need to win. It doesn't matter where we play, but it's going to be a lot easier to win at home. So I found that aspect of it really interesting that it kind of completely goes against what the net is claiming to encourage. Yeah, I mean, if you win at home and you you turn it a quad three, you make it a quad three win. It's better than a 
maybe quad two or a quad two loss wouldn't be terrible, but a quad three loss is not great. Quad four loss, definitely not great. So if you go on the road and play a bad team, it might not help you. So overall, I mean, a win's a win, as you said. I think that we've seen teams just start rolling. You you can kind of hope that if you build your conference play enough to where your conference play can help you get in, then you can see with the Big East and the Atlantic 10 and the American, if you can play well in conference play, get in that way. So I don't know if it's something to build on, but he might have seen something there that he realized you look at the metrics and you get more wins at home than you do have losses, then you may they end up working out for it. Yeah. I mean, the other aspect is um, that coaches are basically begging their schools and the league office is basically telling their schools, spend money on basketball, you know, buy these games, get these programs in, but also travel better, make it easier to win when you go on the road. When we do have to go on the road or go to a tournament or whatever, um, you know, invest on things, get, get fans in the stands, do things that recruiting that are going to just make it clear. We're making an investment in basketball. So I think that's another interesting aspect of it. Cause the Sunbelt, they're not playing games as far as just overall when it comes to athletics. I think they've made it very clear that they have high aspirations. So it is, as a huge basketball fan myself, like I, I found it like just fascinating to see how, you know, basketball's kind of been an afterthought to, I think, a lot of the fans when it comes to where Sunbelt's going, but it seems like administrations are definitely looking at that aspect of it. And we're not going to be the kind of league we want to be unless we're, you know, at least adequate in basketball. At least we're, if we're at least in the discussion in basketball, football's more important. Baseball's in our culture. We have a geographic advantage in baseball. We have that in softball too, but basketball is important. And so I think that's been, you know, kind of definitely a revelation to see that. That's definitely how they're acting. Cause you, you could also seem to just go in the other way and saying like, you know, we're good in enough things. We don't necessarily have to like spend this money and try to compete where everybody's trying to compete. No. Yeah. I mean, everyone competes in basketball for a reason because that's, as we said earlier, that's where the money lies. And you see a lot of conferences that don't have football and they have, they put a ton of money in the basketball. And so I think overall you don't want to settle and you don't want to, you know, have a great football conference, a great basketball conference, and our baseball conference, and have a mediocre basketball conference. If you can kind of get your basketball conference off the ground and get rolling, then you you could put yourself in the conversation of, you know, just being one of the top group of five leagues overall if you have all of your sports firing on all cylinders rather than just maybe a handful. Yeah, and it's it's really interesting because basketball is unlike the other sports. I mean, we, we've talked a little bit about, you know, everybody play for the most part, everybody plays baseball and everything, but the Sun Belt has built in advantages like high school baseball, baseball in general is a big part of just the culture and the South. Um, and the weather is an advantage compared to the Mac or, you know, other similar conferences, but basketball, you know, in football, there's 131 FBS teams right now. And then if you add, what, 10 FCS programs that are also making an advantage and making an investment and saying, you know, it's really important to us to be good in football and compete, you know, the North Dakota States and some of those. So let's say there's 140 teams in the NCAA in Division One that are really 
invested in football. There's 350 some division one teams in basketball. And I would say 340 of them Care. or at, yeah, <laughs> or at least saying like, we're going to invest at least what we can. Yeah. Like as much as we can afford into basketball, because that's where we might get a return on the investment. And that's where we might get some publicity. And that's where we might help build our school. Um, even outside of the athletic departments where we might, you know, see increased enrollment and stuff as if we have, you know, basketball team that people care about and we can do that. So it's a completely different level of competition as far as that goes. So that's why it's not like you can just say like, Oh, five baseball teams in a tournament. Why not five basketball teams? It's why they're saying, let's get a second. And then, you know, maybe some years we could get a third and then 10 years from now, then maybe we start talking about four, you know, whatever. Like, so it, even with lofty aspirations for basketball, there's still this re- realization that it's much more competitive. I mean, I've had this discussion with some people around, you know, JMU even. You don't take anything away from winning a national championship in lacrosse. But there's maybe 40 schools in the country that are really – you know, there's more than that to play lacrosse. There's more than that. Like, we'll say they care, but how many are putting in the same kind of investment to lacrosse that JMU has? Um, that paid off in a national championship, and it's maybe 40 schools, and so it's still a huge accomplishment. But it's not the same playing field as when 320 basketball schools want to make the NCAA tournament, and when they get there, they're really hoping they can make the Sweet 16, and you know. And they're putting all their eggs in that basket. So it's it's an interesting dynamic for the Sun Belt where they want to take steps, but they're also pretty realistic, I think, about like what what the ceiling might be at least in the near future. No, yeah, and I think it'll be something interesting to just keep an eye on in general and as we see things pan out, but we'll see what the investment looks like in a couple of years and if Sun Belt starts to get two teams in, then you call it a win. For the short term, and then you long term, you build on it and get a third. Yeah, and the uh, third story in the series coming out now. We'll, we'll just spend a couple minutes on that before we wrap up. But um, it, it focuses on you know publicity, exposure, building your reputation as a conference. How much will just you know a relationship with ESPN, being able to have some teams where they sell out some games, which is that did not happen in the old Sun Belt at all. They're adding schools like Marshall, ODU, JMU that sell out games occasionally. Um, gives you something to like show on ESPN <laughs> on these you know streaming games and potentially when you're on linear TV. How much will that relationship with ESPN and just having some teams that push things across social media and really like pu- publicize their basketball programs a little bit more than maybe the previous Sun Belt regimes did? How much will that help going forward? I mean, you okay, you were a VCU guy until very recently. Back in December, I don't think this job covering JMU was necessarily on your radar mm-hmm. at the time. How much was your were you seeing just of like court storming at JMU when they beat when they beat uh Virginia? Is that something that like hit your radar because it was something they could really publicize? Yeah, you saw that. I mean, coming from, coming from a basketball school where sold out 140 something games in a row until 
sometime this year when it didn't happen with COVID. Um, yeah, I mean, that showed up on Twitter. You saw it on social media as something happening because most of the time you don't see college college basketball courts during as general. Most of the time we'll get on social media one way or another because it doesn't happen often. I mean, come from a VCU where they've beaten teams like Virginia and things like that, and they don't start on the court. And so I think that when you see a team like JMU who's not expected to win and they, they beat a team like Virginia, then it's, it's cool to see. And that's definitely something that I think you got publicity out there because they were playing on – a major network for that game. It was CBS Sports Network for that one. Um, yeah. So yeah, it got it got some you know national publicity there. Just you're a younger guy than me. Yeah, I know coming from VCU, like you said, they not necessarily going to react the same way to upsetting an ACC team as JMU did. But just in a general sense, that you were interested in colleges not mm-hmm. that long ago, you see something like that come across your Twitter, or your Instagram, or whatever. Yeah. Does it make you more interested in that school and that program in general? It's like, oh, I didn't know that they like – I didn't know they had like that many people go there and get games or like whatever. I mean does, do you see stuff like that just as a younger person? Uh, sometimes. You know, you'll get intrigued. I think the biggest way that this social media played a factor and, and you're talking about it like this is I think UMBC beating UVA in the in the NCAA tournament a few years ago and how they utilized social media to kind of be funny and it, it worked and it, it – grew they built their following i think that you see schools try to mimic that a little bit and jmu in a way kind of didn't wasn't trying to be funny in the way you umbc was but still try to capitalize social media so i think overall that umbc kind of set the standard of how you use social media to your advantage and in, in a being a mid-major school and i think that you know since then you see schools put it on and, and yeah it definitely pops up on people's radar and you're like oh i didn't know jmu uh you know open a new arena because when you when you go down that Rabbit hole, you see they opened a new arena recently, and, and you're like, oh, well, that's they're investing money and so forth. So, overall, I think it was good. And I, yeah, that, that, that did show up on my my timeline that night, and I thought it was cool. It also showed up on my timeline when JMU was playing that NAIA school and won like 100 <laughs> to like nothing. So, different, different, a lot of different <laughs> ends of the spectrum there, but that's still also, I turned my head over like, oh, why is the team up 100 and something to 50? Yeah, no, th- that's definitely an aspect of it too, and you know, I just I just find it interesting sometimes where you see you see an angle of a school that maybe you didn't you weren't aware yeah. of and you wouldn't have seen twenty years ago. Twenty years ago, <clears throat> you knew Boise State had blue turf and football and were pretty good and whatever, but you knew that because you saw it on ESPN. Mm-hmm. Now you also can see like, oh yeah, they're their student section gets pretty crazy to basketball games too. And like, you know, you, you become more aware of things like that. And I think that's, that's where there's an opportunity maybe for some of these Sunbelt teams to highlight what's working. And like, as yeah. Dan, uh, Dan D'Antoni kind of put it to me is like, you know, only show the games where it's sold out <laughs> <laughs> and you can kind of ignore if nobody's paying attention at Arkansas state, kind of push it at the back burner. But if you got something cool out there, you can really push it out there on your own now without, necessarily needing as much help from the tv networks and stuff yeah i think when you compare it to the atlantic 10 which you have dayton selling out a lot of games you have vcu selling out a lot of games you get richmond sells out a few a game a few a year i mean you get to the point to where it's pretty commonplace and that's how we get on these networks i mean the, the a10 has to deal with espn and cbs sports so it's kind of different where they're on national tv basically every single conference game and i think that's the reason why is you, you're building a brand of not only having good good play on the court but you're also showing that the money's there too and you're packing your house every day and you go Dayton hosts the first four every year and they've got 
infrastructure in place just because they do that. And so I think there's a lot of room to grow for the Sun Belt, and I think that that's one way to do it is you sell out your arena and other things will start to come. Yeah, and it definitely helps with perception. I mean, when you think of A-10 basketball, you think like you think of those sold-out arenas in Dayton at VCU and stuff, and then it becomes more like, well, what's Fordham's problem? Not <laughs> yeah, exactly. not 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 like Fordham is an example of the A-10. It's like, no, that's that's a bad example of the A-10 because you've seen that. And it could get to that point in the Sun Belt to, to a certain degree if you're talking about like, oh, yeah, well, Marshall averages 6,000 and has pretty crazy crowd. Like, so like that's the real Sun Belt, not <laughs> Arkansas State with, you know, 1,000 at a game or whatever, ULM or whatever. That That's kind of like how you can push the perception in your in your favorable direction if you if you know how to manipulate the media a little bit. I mean it works. I yeah. mean we've seen people do it, so we'll see what happens. All right. Well before we wrap it up, Noah, you got anything else? Because we were in your wheelhouse today with the all no, the I major think basketball stuff. We got all the Atlantic Ten talk out today. Yeah. All right. Hey well you've been listening to the Purple and Bold podcast from the Daily News Record. I'm Shane Metlin once again here with Noah Fleischman and thank you for listening. <laughs>